My name is Henry Kiangmang. I'm a historian. I work with the Nigerian Army University in Borno State, in Biu, in Borno State. Welcome back to Africa Knows for another conversation and a new host, Henry Mang. Henry, it's great to have you here. Thank you very much, David. And uh, this is quite an exciting experience. My interests are in conflict and history of conflict, most especially in northern Nigeria. I also have worked uh, in various aspects of anthropology and studies in and around central Nigeria. Uh, well, African laws is quite a new experience and, and also to discover my own fellow academics in Nigeria and Africa and their perspectives, which is quite interesting. I very much agree, Henry. And on that note, let's turn to the first interview uh, with Dr. Plangsat Dayil, who is a political scientist from the Center for Gender and Women's Studies in the University of Jos, Nigeria. And Henry and, and Dr. Dayil's conversation covers a lot of things like African feminism and COVAX, um, academic mentorship, but also the need for Africanity in research and the difficulties of, of getting that to emerge. So here is Dr. Dayil. Dr. Dael is with the Center for Gender Studies uh, in, the Niger in the University of Jos in Nigeria. And uh, her interests have been in terms of women and issues of conflict, most especially in central Nigeria. But uh, in this discussion, we want to introduce the discourse concerning most especially COVID-19, the experiences in COVID-19 and post-COVID-19 and approaches to research in Africa. And uh, sorry, but we want to know what have been your experiences, most especially as it concerns research in Africa or in Nigeria and since uh, the 2019, the experience of COVID-19. Okay. What has been your experience? Well, thank you very much for, for this. And I think it's a very novel idea because most of the researches we do we don't link the experiences of women and African women in particular in academics. Yes. And then also knowledge production. Yeah, I must say that there's something that I often refer to as um, academic imperialism. You know, the kind of knowledge we inherited post-independence. Yes. Now, it goes on. So even when COVID came, you know, there's a lot of dependence on the South, um, okay. on the in North, the north yes. from the South. Yes. So this COVID came as a surprise and as a shock. Many were not prepared in terms of digital knowledge, yeah. uh, digital education, yes. Yes. digital interactions. Even the students themselves were finding it quite new. Yeah, they are very used to all these small softwares here and there where you do WhatsApp, simple yes. technology. But in terms of using Google Classroom, etc., to teach and learn, yes. it became a very big problem. Yeah. Now, but for some of us who have had the opportunity of um, studying elsewhere, uh, we're able to embrace technology quite early because when well, you find yourself in a foreign land, no business center like we have here in Nigeria yeah, where yeah. you can run into one and yes, then do your yeah. things. You have to type your things by yourself. You learn to print them by yourself. Mm. You learn to just do virtually everything. So when we return, it seems it's an advantage. So when COVID came, um, though there's a gap for you to link with other colleagues and take them to your level, there was a halo there. Yeah, yes. Because you're just like in an island. Yes. You're fine doing everything online. You're ready to go on doing things online. But then you have on the other divide people who are just still learning yes, to come yes. to terms that, oh, this is the new normal. Mm. Everything has to go online. Yes. And how do you deal with yeah. this thing? So basically what you're saying is that there was more or less, you found yourself in a situation where you had to now reintroduce people within the academia in Africa on how to approach new forms of learning. Definitely. Yes. You do the same thing and you also do the same thing for students. Yes. First you have to even meet physically. Sometimes you have to teach Zoom classes. Okay, yes. this is how you need to sign into Zoom. Okay, you need to let them know, okay, you can try the free sessions. Okay, there's also Google Meet. And yes. these are just new things. Many people don't even have these things. They believe that, oh, it is Western. So it's a problem with the students even? It's also with the students. And I think it's just the orthodox way of learning. Okay. You know, people still believe in the traditional way of teaching and learning. Yeah. Like it has to be 
one on one, yes, face yes, to face. Yeah. Now, navigating to uh, uh, ICT was something, you know, it's like hesitancy, like you have this mm. COVID, uh, COVAX hesitancy, yes, like people yes, are yes. giving various theories. So people see, believe that that is a space they are not in control of. Okay. So let's let's even jump into the COVAX issue, uh, although this is not part of a part of this uh, blog discussion. But what about what is your experience with COVAX and the issue of uh, using the vaccine in Nigeria? Honestly, I think it's it's just shocking the level of disinformation or I don't know if it's confusing narratives okay. around the vaccine. Okay. Now, there's religious aspect around mm. the vaccine. There's a traditional aspect around the vaccine. Yes. There's also the lack of trust on government on okay. the one hand. Yeah. Spiritually, people said, well, this is 666. Um, some numbers have been, some so chips have been That's more of the Christian perspective. Beautiful, then. so religious. Yes. So don't take it. Now, culturally, they believe that that's um, um, some Western way of controlling birth. Yes. So if you take it, you know you're not giving back. Birth control is, you know, yes, So, yeah, that one is another. Yes. And there's also issues around survival of humans themselves. They believe there's a conspiracy generally to wipe out the human race. So it's basically a, it's a population control. Population control. <laughs> yeah. Apart from the birth control, they yes. believe that people who have taken the vaccine will die gradually, and that's the end of it. So, so basically... I think for you as a scholar in gender studies mm -hmm. and a political scientist, this becomes a, more, a bigger complication for you. Very big, particularly yes, even when you are known as a researcher yes. and they ask you to hear your views. Okay, what do you think about this COVAX? Should we take it? Should we not? Okay, you tell them take it. They ask you, have you taken yours? Okay, yeah. Okay, if you tell them you've taken, okay, um... Did you experience any complications? Mm. And I said, no, okay. But they said you experience complications in the next two years. So do we wait <laughs> and see so, what happens so, to so, you? So basically now you're caught up in yeah. trying to become the guinea pig yeah. for the system itself. Beautiful. So explaining to people things. And shockingly, this hesitancy is even more in academics in the health system. Surprisingly. I don't understand. What do you mean by within the health system? Um, those who are academics and are teaching in the health sciences yes. would even come and agree with the conspiracy that yes, this is not safe. That the COVID-19 vaccine is it's not, not safe. safe that okay. the human body mm. should be allowed to develop its own natural immunity. Yes, yes. Now, their theory is that if you take the vaccine and then something happens to you, you have nothing else to do. So basically, in their view, mm -hmm. if you don't have your own self-immunity, yeah. any other form of immunity is useless. Yes. And then when you take this vaccine and then you have COVID mm -hmm. and complications come, there will be no treatment. So basically, <laughs> is that Sorry. common within the, the medical academia? In Nigeria I, I or mean, in Jos? I had that discussion among academics and the day I went to the vaccine center which was located in a, in a, in a, in a health facility. Yes. Surprisingly, we were just two. Two academics? Two that worked in, I don't know if the other is an academic. Yes. But it's a health facility. Yes. And uh, academics around there. And so basically, the academics were not comfortable. Yeah, and then people were not coming in. Well, Basically, most of them were just sitting and waiting for people to come. And so as at the time I went there, I followed the statistics online. Yes. Uh, I think Nigeria got like 3 million or so the first uh, dose um, delivery. Yeah, delivery, yes. As at when I took, it was just about less than 400,000 across the country. Who, who had actually accessed the 3 million per, uh, yeah. doses. And that's um, within 3-4 months of arrival of that vaccine. Wow. So basically, <laughs> basically we have a, in, an inertia. There's a knowledge gap. See, okay. there's a lot of things we need to do. Disinformation is there. Academics are at the center of it. Women yeah. should be key and central to this information. Okay. Because as you educate these women who are uneducated, 
they pass this information to their children. Yes. And because there's these informal gatherings in communities, and these are places and spaces where knowledge is being shared, yeah. we don't study even these things. Because sometimes the resistance comes from there. Yeah, okay. You see people gather around uh, in the evening where they play this local chase, yeah. call it Dara. Dara, or, yeah. or uh, what they call it now, uh, draft. Draft. Yes. These are strong information spaces and control spaces. Decisions are about community, everything will but be I, taken I think, there. I think that, that's important. Yeah. Can you help us with the discourse <laughs> on informal dissemination of information? You're talking of draft. Yeah. And a draft is common in almost all parts of Nigeria. True. Every every town, every community, every village has a small place where drafts, that's the yeah. local chess, yeah. is being played. Yeah. In your view, that is an important, important implement of dissemination of it's information. It's very, very important. Okay. We have to look at this local network. And because of this academic imperialism that I'm talking about, yes. where somebody needs to, to, to validate your knowledge from the global north, Yes. To give the knowledge of a scholar in the global south, south validity, yes, yes. most of this kind of local knowledge you're generating would just die on its own. Because basically most of them are waiting for the global north to provide the information. And if they don't have this kind of existence of these spaces, yes. how would this kind of knowledge sell? Okay. You get what so I mean? So basically we have a disconnect between... Definitely. The information that comes from the global north yeah. and the access to the information in the global south. Yeah. Or worse, if you really want to sell such information, you partner. Yeah. Now, so narratives would begin to change. Sometimes yes. you have to yes. add many things and begin to link them up. Yes. So you want to say that, okay, even though these people play chess here, it happens also. And then you have to recreate chess playing in many other parts of the world yes. so you can create a link. So basically, you're talking of models. Politics. Yes. Models that yeah. will work with within continents. Continents, within yeah, across countries. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we have we have that a lot. You take, for example, issues of marriage. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know that the practice of two, three, four women, five staying in one household yes. with a man, is not a common practice in the, in the West. global north, except for. The recent concept of blended families, okay, where you yes. have families, um, one man cohabiting with two and saying that they are okay with it, or yes. you have two people who are divorced, yes. and they both marry and decide to all live in one mm, household yeah, yes. with their spouses and yes. their children in the yes. name of providing care and support for. Yes. So there are these arrangements of blended family that doesn't work here. In, in Africa. Yeah, that you are divorced, yes. your wife is divorced, she marries, you marry, and you decide to all live together because house. you want the children yes. to stay in one place. Yes. It doesn't work like that here. So imagine you're doing a research about blended, blended families. families. Your concept Africa. and understanding of blended family will be different from the concept and understanding of blended families. So how would that be in Africa, for instance? Well, that's the need, the, the need for proper collaboration and also to give Africans their own space and voice. So basically, you are lead now, it, it leads us to the discourse, the larger discourse in yeah. this podcast about yeah. the issue of Africanity mm. in research. Yeah. So basically, in the West, they talk about blended families mm. and they talk about the possibility of divorce families or husbands and wives who are divorced, mm -hmm. living in the same house in order to take care of the children. Yeah, yeah. But we're talking of Africa where in the case in which divorce is divorce, yeah. and basically there's a disconnect between the husband and the wife. Yeah. Now, what to you is an aspect of research that needs to be looked at in this kind of blending, in the African context? Yeah, I think the African way of life needs to be interrogated deeply, even if it's just from the primary perspective, getting qualitative data. Yes as against interpreting quantity and then comparing where there's no need for comparison. Yeah. Okay. Because in the process of doing that... What do you mean by no need for comparison? Yeah. For example, you have a, a grounded case, yeah. something that is new and is novel in Africa. Let's yeah. assume you find a community where they practice um, traditions 
and they are still very barbaric, yes. etc. Yes. And that doesn't exist elsewhere. Yes. Yes. And this is very primary knowledge. This is key. You interview these people yes. and you want to produce knowledge. Then you're struggling to look for examples that don't exist elsewhere. Okay. So that means in. the complication of trying to provide a context with which yeah. does not exist necessarily. Yeah. It's a unique context. So yeah. we're talking of an anthropology or ethnography that is unique to a specific. And I'm um, getting there this concept of anthropology. Yes. Where you grow up here. You've studied here. There's nothing about the conflict in just or Nigeria that you've not understood. Yes. You don't refer to yourself as an anthropologist. No. Now, somebody in the global south travels down and spends a year. The global north. Or global north. Or yes. spends a year or six months in a community to yes. study conflict. That becomes a conflict. He becomes an expert in conflict. So he becomes the concept of analysis. Analysis. Yes. Compared to you, that is an authority. And when you speak, you're speaking from experience, you have seen it, you've studied it. And we're academics for crying out loud. When you drive out every day, the whole community is your field of study. So basically, what you're saying now is, basically, yeah, and I think that has been a century-old discussion mm. on the issue of anthropology mm. and the study of unique communities like in Africa or yeah. in the South Pacific, for instance, yeah. where we talk about uh, issues of the of Fiji Islands and all of this, yeah. where scholarship seems to want to impress on mm. knowledge yeah. that the people already have mm -hmm. and they have built on. Mm -hmm. So in your view, there's still that problem there's still a gap. of the lack of Africanity Exactly. Of research. That's the entire thing we are still talking about since about yes. the missing voice in this space. So the missing voice is what now? The missing voice is the originality of the research itself From that is not subjected to too rigorous analysis and comparing it unnecessary. See, we need to get to a space where, like for this postcard. Yeah. Uh, you interview people in a community, you present their findings like that. Okay. Let the space be for academics within and outside to pick this information. So academics shouldn't define the narrative that comes from the interviews for less. They would define, they will analyze, but they, then they should not make it go out of context. Just trying to brush it over and over and over. You know this thing about um, colloquial English? Yes. In Africa yes. or in the global south, mm. and that of sometimes you find yourself re-editing a, a text. Yes. If you're not careful, if you take it back to the interviewee, mm. the context which they used to tell you the story would have been gone. It's true. It's true. Because you are editing, a third party is editing, a second. So it's been subjected to several levels. You and I had an experience oh, yeah. a few months a few months ago. Yeah. We did research on uh, COVID-19 and its impact on conflict-prone communities. Yeah. And we were required to do, uh, to, to provide, uh, what would I say, interpretations of uh, interviews mm -hmm. from different languages yeah. to English. Yeah. And basically, uh, I think it became a challenge for us. Yeah, definitely. But in your view, because we had this challenge, we had discussed this, this mm. shouldn't be, but I, I think my relations with you allows me for, to discuss this. Mm. The fact that uh, we had to reinterpret an interpreted text. And then you interview and then transcribe and translate again yes. back. Are so basically it? it waters down yeah. the transcription. Yeah. Except if you and I who sit in between these languages because yes. you understand both. Yes. Interpret this text and also using your anthropological knowledge of the environment. Yes, yes. Because over time you have studied this conflict, you understand the culture yes. and who writes this document in its original form. So basically, what we're having now is the fact that because there's an attempt by the Western scholars not to make mistakes, they go in and they water down over-editing. With over-editing, yes. Too much. And my worry, like I mentioned earlier when we yes. started, is this issue of somebody else giving validity to your work. 
more than what you know is actual data you've gathered in the field. So basically now, you as an African scholar, yeah. go into the field, mm -hmm. acquire data, mm -hmm. and somebody in the West or in the global North has to validate your data. Yeah. Let me tell you how this thing works. Okay. You go to the field, you collect data, you send to Journal 1, they refuse to accept. You send okay. to Journal 2, they refuse to accept. Yes. Collaborate with a, a, a scholar in the global notes. Yes. They add one or two perspectives. They've not been to the field. Yes. And phew, the journal accepted. is accepted and published. So basically, <laughs> we are limited in our access to Scopus. Definitely. Because Scopus will only look at certain journals Definitely. that are basically recognized in the global norms. Definitely. And that's and where the politics of academic scholarship comes in. Where you ease out uh, very good scholars in the global north. In the global in south. The global south for doing this. Yes. Now, if you want to really make it, you have a niche for yourself. Well, your collaboration with these uh, international scholars might be a stepping stone. You know why I'm saying so? It's because mm. when people like um, my Reverend uh, Father Matthew Kuka yes. speak about conflict, yes, you know he's a UK-based scholar. Yeah, he went to Oxford. Ah. We went to Oxford. He and I went to Oxford, Ooh. so yes. So when he speaks and writes, there's this acceptability. Compared to his mate, who would have written from the perspective In of a local? Yes. With all the knowledge, the acceptability will not be as much as that. It's like it is our own. Mm, there's an interesting thing. I think I can bring the perspective of we have Professor Toyo Falola. But yeah. Professor Toyo Falola does it in a more interesting perspective. Yeah. He looks for African scholars from the local yeah. and then he projects them and I in the think international. He has tried in that regard. Yes. Because if you look at his publications that he helps to promote, if you read through, you definitely, as a Global South scholar, understand the context okay. and some of the issues they are discussing. Yes. Because these are real issues. Yes. They are issues you come to terms with yeah. that you understand. They are yeah. not subjected to any kind of serious uh, uh, interpretations that waters down the information. So I think that most of his uh, publications that he collaborated to do will be a good source for scholars. Because that's what I expect, Ooh. that we can generate knowledge yes. and have a database. Mm. That way you are from the global north and you're looking for information, you know where to pinch. And you know that's where our problem lies. So, but that brings us to the discourse. Yeah. You went to the University of Birmingham. Mm -hmm. You did your PhD in Birmingham. Yeah. And what stops your work from going out from Birmingham to the world? Um, well, it is there and it is online. It's accessible. Yes. So I'm assuming it has... Uh, gone out. In terms of publishing it for academic consumption yes. worldwide, yes. Uh, that I have not done yet and I have not seen um, people calling me to come and publish with them. But yes. I've had people calling me, even internationally, to ask me questions about my work. So basically what you are at, what you're pointing out now is that People don't want to work with you, but rather they want to pick your brain. Definitely. So there is that brain drain, you know. So basically, the idea now is that politics. you have the intellectual power. Yeah. But in most cases, people want to pick from your intellectual prowess rather than working and collaborating with you. Mm -hmm. Why do you think so much? I think, like I said, it's, it's part of the academic imperialism that we, we inherited a structure, an academic structure that was dependent on Western knowledge. Okay. That after mm. independence. Yeah. So we've not been able to delink. So you're talking of close to 60 yeah. years yeah. or even more than 60 years yeah. of academic imperialism. Yeah, of not being able to now stand you, on our Can own. you provide a definition? I want your own perspective, not necessarily mm. a general understanding. Mm. What is your view of academic imperialism? When you generate your own knowledge and you're not able to use it, then okay. somebody has to point it or help you to teach you how to use your knowledge. So basically, <laughs> by implication, you know, you have the knowledge, yes, but somebody teaches from, you. Yes. Some, no, somebody acquires your knowledge yeah. 
and interprets to, to, it and interprets it and tells you how to use the knowledge okay at the same time so you you begin to wonder actually if it's a level playing ground like are we speaking the same thing yes i remember that something that dominated our discussions informally when i was in birmingham is like yes they said why are we always being studied and they are not studying us and we are not studying them are you getting understandably why it's, would it's, i yes. take nigeria to go and study there yes and come and pick data and go back there and finish up why can't i go there and pick a case study yeah. of a community yeah. there and study if it is about marriage on a, com- on a comparative basis beautiful maybe. yes look at texts except if it emanates from the global north yes. they are in charge of the knowledge they generate there you hardly study but, them as but, much but don't as you think you know, i'm being a devil advocate here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. don't you think it's because scholarship in africa is quite weak one it is scholarship in africa is weak mentorship is a issue is an issue yes that i can tell you like for those of us in gender studies mm. you're lucky to have one two three women to collaborate with yes and before you notice it is a whole cocktail of many other things that are coming within the context of the study that yes. are not necessarily academic okay so you find yourself okay am i dealing with issues of socialization that women are always carried away with yes is this really an academic relationship and then you're lost within that space mm. then you begin to withdraw But if you go to the global north and you see people being mentored, I mean right within your class as you make presentations, mm. you will know yeah. that certain class or groups of people yeah. are already being mentored by others. You would see it clearly. So basically now it 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 it, it becomes a complication. Mm. We are angry that the west wants to impute its own knowledge on us. Mm-hmm. And we are not also but taking we are not also taking responsibility of our knowledge yeah we are so not that is a complicated as a dilemma yes for some of us yes and that the honors lies on some of us me you and academics of this century okay, yes. let me just say 21st century okay because if we frown at this what are we doing to bridge this knowledge gap that, that because that is true. yeah so like this thing you're doing to me is a good step Okay. It's just an informal discussion before you notice. You remember yes. we talked informally about organizing a community of scholars yeah. where you meet even if it is once in a month or twice in a month yeah. to discuss one contemporary issue. Yeah. To sit informally and discuss these things, generate yeah. knowledge from these things. So these are community of uh, scholars of, of scholars discussing yeah. issues and then you see your adding value. Yeah. People are learning. Even the listeners who come and before you not notice it becomes a research hub. Yeah, yeah. Itself. It happens elsewhere. But why, what is the problem with African scholarship? The foundation itself. Um you know the few scholars who started here I think the system wasn't too friendly. Let me use that word. Okay. In terms of supporting okay. their scholarship to grow. Yeah. And most of them struggle to find a niche or carve a niche for themselves within academics and because of competition over time they just try to protect that space so it's a niche yes so you see people working in silos okay you don't do that in research yeah. you can't academic research is collaboration it yeah. is network yeah. it yeah. is it is it is knowledge sharing yeah but here is the opposite basically everybody protects his knowledge yes. and he doesn't want to share the yeah. knowledge with other people i can't tell you how many people read my work when i was in birmingham your mates would did it you know how yes. we do it yes yes you give your mates you yes. give your yes. contemporaries yes. you see somebody online and they have mentioned him in in your discussions yes. and you mail it basically they just give your comments yes that is knowledge generation you share because what's the essence of the knowledge mm. if it's not shared but in africa <laughs> In how Africa, many people have read your work? Um honestly I can't really say how many people per se. But interestingly I'm seeing some research is coming up now that yes. I'm thinking must have come from the background of my work. But that's the problem. If they came from the background of your work, mm. how much credit goes to you? Yeah, that's the challenge because we don't have a single space where 
all our researches are coordinated. Now, if you take, for example, you go to the University of Jones Library, yes. with all the researches you've done, yeah. you type on the university web page, or even the library, to mm. find you. Yes. Nothing comes up. So basically, so we don't you are within a system yeah. that does not, does not celebrate you. Yeah. But the system outside seems to celebrate you more than the system yeah. within. Yeah. So we don't have a hope where all this knowledge is being gathered and say, okay, this is credit to Henry, these are all his publications, yes. these are his area of specialization, yes. this is what he can do. Yes. I know NUC at some point asked universities... To, the Nigerian Universities Commission. Yeah, yes. to, yeah, to do that, to make sure that they are scholars. But unfortunately, their approach is that from the rank of a professor. What is from the rank of a professor? So basically, the Nigerian University Commission only identifies scholars that have achieved yeah. the academic premium. Yeah but not looking at scholars yeah. from the yeah. lower level. Yeah. So you ask universities to provide these details. What happens to other scholars who are very active in this 21st century? Like yes. me and you who would not sleep. Yeah, basically. And we are writing. Yes. Our brains are thinking 247. As you're driving and you're seeing people on the road, you're, oh, this is an Ideas interesting area of, yes. of, of research. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So you want to just look at that. Yes. You see something and you're like, oh, this are, and then you're just parking on the road and you're taking notes. What but nobody to wants us? to identify with no. that aspect of research yeah. because it's too minuscule. Beautiful. Yes. And then the next thing you go to the senior colleagues whose data are being gathered at the NUC. They, they tell you, surprisingly, that you're too ambitious. <laughs> that, that's interesting. So basically, <laughs> you do research. Yeah. You invest your time, you invest your finances, you invest your energy into research. Mm -hmm. And when you present the research, mm -hmm. somebody tells you you're too ambitious. Yeah. I can't count the number of drafts I have on my system. Simple ideas that you sit down even from looking or listening to news and it comes and then, boom, you've carried your system and you're... Then suddenly you want to just open up conversation with a senior colleague. Uh, this, and they're like, uh, <laughs> what's this? You know? I, I, th I think I have one or two experiences like that, but I, yeah. I, I think this the focus is on you today. So basically, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll keep that. But the, the idea is, uh, what do you think mm. would be a solution to this problem? Because this is a big challenge. Mm. I know younger scholars, uh, interestingly, just to add to the value of this discussion, you're a relatively young scholar. Uh, in, the, in the African perspective, you are a young scholar, mm. yeah, and uh, but you have achieved much more than most other scholars within your age grade and within your gender mm. as a woman. What do you think can be the solution to a, in a larger scale to how female scholars in Africa could propagate their knowledge without the inhibitions that are coming from? issues of sexism, issues of uh, uh, age, and uh, the fact that, okay, you're too young to be this or that. Mm -hmm. What do you think could be? Uh, to me, active mentorship and collaboration. There's nothing stopping the young scholars from creating a network yeah. within themselves okay. and sharing knowledge and looking for opportunities, like peer-to-peer. That they will support each other. Yes. Because see, our brain thinks faster. And when we see things, we yes. reinterpret them yes. easily. But you and I had once talked about the issue of peer-to-peer. -peer. Yeah. And we realized the fact that even amongst peers, there's competition. So how do we deal with the competition amongst peers? That you provide a source of knowledge and somebody says, no, your source of knowledge is not as good. It's, 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 it's the system, you see the way politics and bad governance have infiltrated almost every sector here. Even the academia? Everywhere it has infiltrated. See, the okay. appointment of um, the head of institutions are political now. You okay. know that. So yes, the vice chancellor for yeah. instance. So yes. that's exactly what I'm saying, the head yes. of institutions, whether the vice chancellor, provost, yeah. whoever it is. Yes. Now, you pick such a person politically. This same person understands that in that office, politics got them there. Yes. So they try to play a little bit of that politics by appointing people who are also uh, loyal to them. Yes. It trickles down. And before you notice, 
simple politics comes into simple issues that are supposed to be academic. So basically, what you're saying now is that basically, because of the politicization of administration yeah. within the academia, yeah. even the academics itself is politicized. Definitely. Universities have to lobby for funding. Yes. From even agencies that are government-owned and are supposed to fund things in systems. Yes, for So research. you go lobbying. What is that? It's politics. Instead of saying, okay, this year we need to give you this to build this lab. Tell us what your problem is. Or oh, our yes. problem is A, B, C, D. Okay, yes. we're doing this A, B, C for you year one, A, B, C, year two. But because of politics, you go and you see the disparity, even in structures and even their location, etc. Yes. Because somebody plays more politics than the other. I yes. give you, for example, and I don't want to mention names. Let's not mention The names. Center for Gender and Women's Studies in one university was Bells. Yes. A story building equipped with computers, etc. Yes. For one of the academic institutions by a funding body. In Nigeria. In Nigeria. Okay. And I had said, okay, let me approach the same body. The same body. Because they told me they approached the same body informally. Yes. And that happened. Yes. And I tried to do the same informal thing. I was yes. told it is not possible, it's not done like that. So basically <laughs> it's one criteria for one. Another criteria for what the we other. call double standard. Double standard. You could see clearly, and I wonder. This is the same institution that is not yet running an academic program. Yes. But has a big, well dedicated building, a furnished resource room. And your own institution has an academic program running. I have over sixty students, both at masters and PhD levels, and they still pressure as I speak to you now. The pressure for admissions for this year is just driving me crazy. So basically, it still brings us back to the discourse. Yeah. We don't like Western intervention. Yeah. Because we feel that African problems need African solutions. African research requires African input. But it will require us, in some cases, because the Africans, because of the dynamics of African access to finances, mm -hmm. we might rather require foreign funding. Definitely we would require foreign funding, If you, to be honest, if you want to make a headway, like yes. for most of the local researchers. Yes. What I'm saying is that within this lo local funding, let the space for the voice of the data speak. Okay, yes. That's just what we are saying. Yes. Okay, I bring the data, you provided the funding. Yes. But let these things not be too subjected to interpretations that the local voices are missing. Yes, yes. Because the entire story will no longer be there. So basically, that means we have a big complication. Yeah. Somebody begs somebody for finances within the locality. Mm -hmm. And he or she gets it. Yeah. Somebody who has the passion for research, mm. begs for the same finances, he or she doesn't get it. Yeah. But he or she gets to go through the complication of his or her research being determined by somebody that is standing from outside, not knowing what the research is all about. Absolute analysis for research. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's the kind of issues and the challenges that we face as female academics. In terms of even mentorship, let me tell you, if you're being mentored by foreign, uh, uh, from being mentored by scholars from the global north, yes, you see them picking interest in even the most minute things in your life, yeah, and they look out for opportunities to collaborate and make you think and make you research, yes. Now, if you're not careful, if you're being mentored, like I'm speaking from our own perspective yes. by our colleagues here, yes. if they are not well focused as female academics. They will really, well, they've not even earned any form of scholarship to themselves, mm -hmm. so it's difficult to even lead you and teach you how to get one. Yeah. So you notice that that gap is there. And, mm -hmm. and most of us in academics are not able to draw a line between socialization, family issues, like to be able to say, okay, this is my me space for academics, yeah, yeah. this is my space for research, yeah. this is my space for family. family yeah. We don't do that. Like, we mix everything together. When I took over as the director for the center, what I noticed that the, the center was doing almost on a monthly basis is to organize either award ceremonies or some mm. discussions. Mm. That are not really, well, not really academic. academic. Yeah. 
and you just hear that Mrs. So 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 is being given award and they'll present paper. And you know those papers are not for anything, it's just a charade, like yeah. we just do it. Mm. And I say, ah, for this center it's been there since twenty eleven. Academic yes. activities started twenty seventeen. Yeah. All through the files is just one meeting. So when I took over there was this struggle between those who enjoyed that space of interaction yes. and when I told them that, see... It's, we call it patronage now. Yes, in this regime, yes. it is strictly academic. Yes, no patronage. No. Yes. It will run like any other department in this university. Yes. We teach courses, we examine students. If there are issues that we need to mark, like international women, they will look for a team. Yes. If there are issues about women and leadership and yes. politics, we look for it. And yes. if there's anything about youth involvement in God, we look for issues thematically and we talk about it. Yes. That was, we've been inviting scholars. Okay, when Zalanga had been in our place two times. Yes. Yeah, yeah, when Zalanga, he came yes. for gender federalism, he talked yes. about that. We invited him specially to talk about gender and justice. So basically, there has been a disconnect. Hmm. The idea is that you have a gender for, you have Center for Gender Studies, mm-hmm. but the idea is not to build on gender studies, but to espouse gender. Yeah. And so you are not comfortable with espousing gender. Mm-mm. So you don't want to say, okay, this is a woman, Mm-mm. let us uphold her for what she has produced, Mm-mm. what she has provided for us. But we're looking at a much more Scholarship. scholarly yeah. perspective. And that's why when you go for meetings and you talk about gender issues, if you're not careful, the first thing they do is they laugh. What do you mean by they laugh? Who laughs? Even colleagues within the academic system. Okay. As soon as you walk in, I remember when I took a new leave. Yes. And you walk in, the next thing they tell you that Madam Gender has... Has arrived. Has arrived. And they laugh. And I normally don't laugh back. Okay. And I wait for them when they are done and it's time for me to say something. I'll tell them that gender is not a laughing matter. Well, It is a serious academic yes. field. Mm. And if it was an issue for laughter... Please, this time around, we have students who are going to get a degree. People are going to get a doctoral degree in that place. And they will use it to impact life and make policies and for governance. And we are laughing. A colleague made a joke one time during Mm. a presentation publicly. He said, uh, they asked him to comment on a work. He said, I will make my discussion as short as a miniskirt. Oh, so ah. basically, he was genderizing his discussion. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I just said, please, uh, observation. I, I said, please, withdraw that statement. Otherwise, some of us will walk out. Because this is a serious space for yeah. discussion. Yeah. I don't know how you create a joke out of nothing. But it still brings us. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, we, are, we, are, we, are, we have discussed the Africanity of scholarship in general. Mm. But let's come specifically to gender. Yeah. Gender in Africa is a complicated discourse. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Because, for instance, now uh, in the United States and also in Europe, mm-hmm. you have the discussions on genderizing of everything now, mm-hmm. from the issues of genderizing of of toilets to the genderization of personalities. So basically, now we have a situation where you can say some people are now trying to determine uh the confusion of their well i i, I say so pardon me mm-hmm. to say the confusion of their genders mm. so instead of saying he or she they say they mm. or, or or them yeah in the, mm. how complicated is it in africa well you know the the good thing is that we have a group of women who have uh, flooded what we call african feminism okay unfortunately they've not been given the loud voice they needed maybe because of lack of finance okay and the government in africa does not understand actually where these people are situated yes. and the kind of value and impact they will add, yes. add to the whole field of gender yes. um the gender studies itself to me is a very interesting field as a matter of fact see yes. I love that I found myself there, though by default, you know, I yes. started as a political scientist. Yes, yes. I was doing my local government thing, etc., yes. etc. So when I started to look at women in uh, conflict and peace building, yes. that was the entry point for me. Yes. I was like, okay, who builds peace? Yes. Who does conflict affect? Yeah. It affects people. Does it affect these people the same? Are you getting it? Yes. So by the time you begin to listen to these narratives, oh, this is how conflict affects a man and mm. how it affects a woman. 
And if a woman who is pregnant is running, definitely is not at the same speed. Yes. The speed the man. the man is running. If she has a baby, she's breastfeeding. She rather dies with the baby. Yes. Hardly would she run. Mm. So there are complications that come with these things. Okay, that means, yeah. It means there are specific things that have to be studied from a particular lens. Okay. Before you can get to understand deeply how to resolve these issues. Now, if you go to some communities and you want to talk to women, you have to go to the gatekeepers and which are men. So in those communities, women are treated as minors. So just like you need the consent to talk to a child, you also need consent, not from the adult female. Yes, but but from from the adult male. From the adult male. Sometimes they are husbands, sometimes they are senior brothers, sometimes they are male relatives. So these are issues that you begin to say, oh, this is actually how it is done. And then that means there's a gap. So even in the kind of policies we make, what space do we have for all these things to be included? Yeah. We don't. Now, if you, if you, issue of social orientations about, okay, we don't want to use he or she and co. The good thing is that there are countries that have banned uh, homosexuality, yeah. lesbianism, etc. Yeah. And I think Nigeria too has it's one of those. something against. So we, yeah. we, are, we are not at liberty to. To That's discuss that. the gender now, But then we cannot shy away from differences and issues of inclusivity. We can't. Yes. In the past, a man goes to the same toilet with a woman. Yes. It is normal. Women, by their nature, sometimes might create a bit of a mess yes. if they are in their periods. Mm. These are not sides that if a man sees you, understands mm-hmm. easily. If I see, I understand, I understand. Easily. Issues related to sexual abuse, etc., on campus. A female lady talks to a female lecturer easily. Mm. And she can't go to a male colleague to talk about his fellow male. In terms of easily. sexual abuse. So, see, it's a very big space that we need to understand exactly the kind of issues. We want to create a safer society for everybody, for our daughters and for everybody. Basically, what you're saying is that there is an absence. Yeah, yeah. It is taking time. That's why we target our programs. Anytime I invite for public speaking, I make sure that it is a new thing we are doing. Mm. And like I tell you, my major challenge is the lack of cooperation because of their view and thinking about gender. One told me, one professor, that we created this center as a space for women on campus here to come and be interacting. So it's just about interaction instead of of trying to provide. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. So they block you on the way and say, ah, why are you not inviting us to come and give a talk? Like, hmm? how? We have master students. Come, you want me to give you a course to teach? So it's not about interaction. It's about yeah. try, trying to provide. Yeah. A new knowledge into the discourse. Yeah. So yes. we have been able to create that, and I hope it is sustained. Okay. That this is a serious space for teaching and learning yes. issues related to gender. Coming back to University of Jobs yeah. and uh, scholarship within the University of Jobs, this will expand to universities in Nigeria generally, but mm. let's start with the University of Jobs because the Center for Gender Studies is in the University of Jobs. Mm. How has the University of Georgia supported the gender, the, the Center for Gender Studies? Yeah, I can tell you that when a leader has focus yes. and you stamp your feet, yes. you get things you want. The challenges will be there. Yes. Unfortunately, the center is still within its teaching period. Yes. 2017-ish, minus one year COVID. Yes. You know that it's just basically yes. a stretch of two yes. years yes. and a few months yes. academic calendar. Yes. We've been able to tell the system this is it. There are times that the other women association on campus have invited the center mm-hmm. and I had sent representative. Mm-hmm. Not because I don't want to be there. Yeah. I'm trying to pass a message mm-hmm. that it is no longer about just appearing for celebrations yes. and here and there. Now, this same set of people, I did an academic program, send invitation to them. They don't know them. Because it's not an academic space for them. But if I say, okay, come, we're trying to give so 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 person award as well, they will all come. So, so, so it's a celebration. Basically, now we have two complications. We have the complications of men who want to uh, 
assert their authority as, as the male or the dominant gender mm. within the system. And then we have a system where women only want to glamorize gender. Because of the knowledge gap is still missing. So you this know? knowledge gap now. Yeah. In what terms of understanding yes. basically what gendered research is all about. Mm. You come to a space and somebody comes from law, for example, and yes. says, okay, I want to read gender. You tell them to go and bring research topic. They come. The impact of conflict on women. Women and political participation to see. At some point in time, all the students, when I said all, yes. were writing on conflict and women political participation. That's the only thing well, so they understand <laughs> as gender so research. By in... <laughs> In, in in your own case, yeah. you have observed that women, even in themselves, or those that are want to go into the scholarship of gender, yeah. only see issues of gender in terms of conflict and in terms of women participation. And governance. But they don't look at gender in terms of, okay, how do we define the authority of women in the house or the women in the community, this or that? This is even an aspect. You see, any time I, 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 I admit them, I take my time, even though it might just be five minutes, for yes. those who care to listen, to ask them, what's your background? Okay, this one tells you I'm from a medical, uh, I have a medical yes. background, I have a law background. Okay, what do you want to do here? Women and conflict. Ah, I said, do you know we have a center called SICOMS? So I yes, said, why can't you go there yes. and go and study the same thing? Yes. I say, this is a multidisciplinary space. Yes. We want to see your background here. Yes. You are from law. We want you to interrogate issues Legal related perspectives. to gender and human rights, constitutional reforms issues, policy. And from that perspective, yes. you bring your medical background. What do you want to do, women and politics? How? Why can't you look at women, gender and reproductive rights? Yes. Why can't you look at health policies? Are you getting it? Yes. So until you begin to give people orientation to know that gender is truly multidisciplinary, it is very diverse, and you can look at it from different perspectives. So at least with this set, I'm beginning to see, though when they submitted their initial topics, everybody was still writing on the same conflict. I told them it's not going to be possible yes, yes. here. We want you to bring that diversity here. We want to help you understand how yes. to do gender within your different fields. Yes. And now, because over time, government studies gender as an isolation. Yes. That's why when they are making policies, they will write everything when they finish. They will come and they down. And they add a small gender component. And they aesthetic something and say, this will be also equal opportunity for women. That's, they will tell you they have engendered the entire... <laughs> <laughs> so basically, but, what is, but I, I think I've seen that in a lot of uh, policy documents. Yeah. Uh, it's usually a footnote. Yeah. The footnote Definitely. is that, okay, we'll give 30% mm. to mm. women. Yeah, that's as far as they're concerned. We'll consider uh, women in a certain percentage, yeah. but not considering what type of women, what aspect of women. No, or, they don't care. Okay. Recently, we did a research on women and transport. Mm. I know... Lucky enough, the state minister for transport is a woman. Is a woman. Yes. So we went to pay a visit to her in her office. After that, she now called, made her PA to call that she wants to create a committee called uh, Gender and Transport Transformation Plan. Mm. So she appointed me into the committee. Yes. Now, they want to engender the transport policy. I was just sitting and then the SA called. Now, can I get this policy engendered and send it tomorrow morning? <laughs> so basically, they will just want a document. Yeah. I said, I don't know how to do that. She said, ah, I know the gender expert. I said, I know what is procedure and process. I said, we'll start first with statistics mm. about the entire transport system. Who works there? Who doesn't work there? What positions do they occupy? You know, we start from there first. Yeah. When we are done, we look at critical stakeholders, we interact with them. Mm. When we interact with them, we find out what are their safeguarding issues. Yes. Now, when you have safeguarding policies in organizations, you know that you're putting policies that will be inclusive. Yes. There's no safeguarding policy in that entire environment. Shockingly, we went to the Abuja Obama Mass Transit, and I told them, let's check what's happening there. You will not believe that they have about 30, 40 ticket vendors. They call them uh, 
what do they call these these boys? These boys are help to collect money in in Karemota. Karemota touts. Yeah, yeah. they basically uh, motor yeah. touts. Yeah, no, they are not necessary touts because yes. touts are those ones that stand at the park. They are not with any vehicle. Yeah, 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 yeah. They harass you. They yes. stop vehicle for yes. you to enter. So those ones are a category. These ones are employed by the Abuja Over Mass Transport. Conductors. Con- yeah, but they call them ticket vendors. Okay. Well, that's more. Yeah, more. Class more for them. Class. You know, yes. they are facing serious challenges. Nobody is paying attention to it. There are times that they enter. And they're female. Female. Yes. Yeah, thirty-four of them. And they will ask. They will, a man gives them money. They, 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 they are looking for change. They start abusing them. Yeah, yeah, woman. Your mates are working in offices. You're here collecting. You know what I mean. There are times they slap them. Well. Wow. So, and until I told them, I said, you see, before we get to that level, we must do this research. Yeah. Because we must understand the mm. problems within the transport system. So basically, it's not about providing a document that Beautiful. somebody would use. For Beautiful. Somebody. Yes. And they were like, oh, that's a long process. I said, definitely, if I will be part of this committee, it will be a long process. But anything shorter, I'm not well, part. Because I don't know how they do short ones. So by implication, you're bringing your academic uh, mindset into That is this supposed system. to be the blend. So it, 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 it actually, for the sake of this discourse, it actually means that basically, uh, Dr. Plaza, you are trying to tell us now, mm. and we should emphasize this, mm. that there is a need. Mm. You have brought in a problem, yeah. the transport sector. Yeah. How do women find themselves propagating transport sector? In Plato, for instance, now, mm. I, I know my PhD has been on terms of informal markets and businesses. Mm. And I know for one that uh, a large percentage of women in Plato State mm. are involved in informal Farming, mm-hmm, informal mm-hmm. markets, mm-hmm. and transport is a major factor. Very serious issue. You are now saying that research has to be done in terms of the genderization of transport. Yeah, the challenges they face, hmm. how do we bring more women into transport? Okay. So that from the farm, they can also transport what? Their produce. Their produce. We, we've had a few researchers, though foreign funded, yes. that have brought a few women into the transport industry. Yes. But local initiatives, like from government, yes. to bring more women into transport. I'm still looking for data because, like I told you, we just started this yes, uh, yes. With, with the Federal Ministry, yes. State Ministry of Transport. I don't know if there are conscious efforts to empower them, but I know the State Ministry is trying to do that. Okay. To see that, okay, you can do this. But unfortunately, women have been part of transport, particularly in northern Nigeria, from time immemorial. Okay. You know how. Women will be at home. You think she's not employed. She's already having Okada. Okay, so she... Yes, I know of uh, Wilbarrows. Wilbarrows, Okada. I'm even Okada. trying to get that. Yes, Wilbarrows. They have that. They have yes. Do you know they own these Meruas? Yes, those uh, water potters. Yes. These are water vendors that are moving. Yes. And then they take this... So women have been part of transport. In a way, they feel they are not into transport. So basically, what you're saying now is that basically, this is an unstudied area. There's still room for a lot of study in that in yeah. that field because there's still a gap mm. in terms of mm. how we study yes. women's involvement in community yes. generally. Yes. You have been in this uh, area of security. Yes. You know that women have played vigilante roles. Yes. Yes. Informally. Informally. Yes. Even the ordinary grandmother, yes. let me tell you, sitting under the tree, yes. just looking at who comes. Prayer, prayer, and also yeah. uh, information. Yeah. And also Beautiful. the issue of cooking food. Beautiful. And providing yeah. water and all of this yeah. to the vigilantes. So whoever just walks in and out and cold, they are gathering that. But we've not utilized even this because oh. we feel it doesn't fall within the that, format. That, that is an interesting because this opens up. You are not just discussing this but you're opening up a new area of research that needs to be looked into yeah. and basically that's the beauty of this podcast yeah. this podcast is trying to look at african academia mm. and new areas mm. and arguing that basically we don't need to wait for western 
and, and, and let me tell you, with this thing you're doing, it creates yes. room. You see, there's a scholar that did some work on the third space. Yes. If you bring that narrative into the study of women, yeah. there's a third space for women. That's third their space. space. That's there's there's yeah. space for happiness. Yes. Now, apart from the fact that there's family, yes. they have work, yes. maybe church, there's a space where when they get there, they feel they are women, and that's the space they open up. Basically, I was talking to somebody about that issue. Mm. Although it was an issue of sexual sex mm, and women, mm, mm. and uh, she was saying basically, how much sex does a woman get mm. in her lifetime? Yeah, that basically most men don't give enough sex for their women. Yeah. but yeah. basically they are comfortable with the little sex they get. Yeah, 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 and they would want more, but because of the training, yes, they can't open up. It's only maybe in developed countries where people even negotiate sex and yeah. you can hear, say, okay, we're going for relationship with benefits. Yes. Now, some of us, it was a cultural shock to hear that, oh, mm. these kind of things are done yeah, in this mm. world. There's something like that. But here, you dare not even talk about mm. that. So this third space, are all, that's why there's this gossip. This could be their third space because that's the space where they are real. They find themselves in the realities of their Beautiful. society. Beautiful, and they can yes. talk about every of their trouble. When they are done with that third space, they withdraw back home. But I think I would emphasize to that you, to, you look into that third space <laughs> as, as, an, as an issue of a post See, my brother, research. we also have many things to look at. Let me tell you why. Even women in informal governance spaces, we have not studied it. I told somebody, I said, come. Do you know we have had many female leaders in Nigeria? Yes. Informally. She said, why? I said, ah. I looked at it. I did. I did. My, my, part of my PhD was in Mango and Beautiful. Mango and Bokos, and yeah. we found that most of the women were controlling certain aspects of yeah. the market in Mango and yeah. Bokos. Yeah, but these are also spaces that have not been studied. Yeah. What makes other women more vocal, even in a space where we are saying there is a lot of cultural resistance, there is religious resistance, and co- even within the core Hausa community, northern Nigeria, there are women that command a lot of energy till date. And a lot of voice. When they speak, they speak. And when they talk, it's, what makes them have that kind of power? What makes them wield that kind of influence? Mm. These are spaces for study. See, like I said, until we form a community of researchers that think and begin to, like, we come together and pick a particular thing and talk about. Look at, you have a governor who has a girlfriend. The girlfriend might even be deciding who is appointed into offices. Mm, mm. And women have no power. Yes. Uh, that is what is assumed. Beautiful. Mm. But informally, they are hitting grounds and they are doing things. Ture was virtually almost like a female president in Nigeria. Ture Eradua. Yes. Yes. Half of the time, the husband was sick. This woman was controlling, including appointments. I learned that people, every governor, chief of Saku, they will all come to her. Yes. She get keeps. You don't enter to see him. She tells Bless. you what he yes. says. And you act on it. <laughs> there has been this kind yes. of cases. Are you yes. getting it? Yes. Even during Good Luck's regime, I learned that certain contracts can only be gotten through his wife. You see, their positionality and their closeness to the seat of power gives them this unique advantage to influence. But sometimes maybe they don't understand the extent to which they do that. And because we've not exposed that power enough yes, yes. to make people know that, yes, mm. some people are actually doing something within their space. Yes. Yes. that should be utilized yes. for the benefit of others. There's a lot of things to be done, and sometimes when I sit, I wonder, who do we collaborate with? Who should do things like us? How do we interrogate some of the daily challenges we face within our community? Yeah. To, to, to me, the essence of me and you doing research is to inform policy, uh, to bring changes. Yes. Now, if we do researches that does not impact, for example, the one we're doing on transport, we believe that at least there will be a policy document. Yes, yes. There will be something to protect yes. these female vendors. What is the maternity leave for these female vendors? Mm. What, what is there to safeguard them yes, within this space? This Nobody is talking about it. Okay. All they know is that these people are there to look for money. There. So when they, are, when they are there, they are there. When yeah. they are there, they are not, when they're not there, they are not there. I went there and I asked, where is their rest space? What I mean is not just the, the toilet. Toilets, uh, okay. I mean when they and when they come from duty and they need to relax and catch their breath before they go for where do they stay? There's nothing. So basically, they are they are being placed as because they are women. They are not looked about as people who have special needs. 
and they are just lumped in with the men, yeah. as the case may be. So we, we, until you begin to look at gender inclusivity issues beyond just what we are saying, yeah. I keep telling people that the issue of husband and wife to me is even the most minute aspect that yeah. I would hardly even study when I'm we have many issues to deal with. You see, Va, you wake me up today in my house. I'm a wife. Yes. I might be losing my auto. Within the same day, I will exercise different levels of authority. Yes. Now, I wake up here, I might be subjected to my husband. As soon as he moves out, I'm the authority over the children, yes. everybody here, well, including the security. Yes. I go to my office. I'm the boss. Authority also. Yes. So, whether the man working in my office is the age or the senior of my husband or the age of my father, at that point, he loses power. Yes. Mm. So True. that's the boundaries of how fluid this gender so thing basically works. Basically, we don't recognize, we don't really no. seem to identify no, all no, of no. these as... And that's why aspects. when you tell people about gender and inclusivity, immediately they just say it's a women thing. I said, no. You see, you need to safeguard everybody. Yes, if yes. you understand how institutions, mm. organizations power, you will know that there are a thousand and one men who also yes. don't have power. True. So when we say create inclusive mm. policies, yes. we are not saying create space for yes. women. It's we're, completely we're, not we're, that. We're, we're, we should create an environment yeah, that or, everybody, or, or an aura yeah. in which everybody seems to understand where his place is. Exactly. The and then they will be happy to be productive. Well, <laughs> thank you very well, much, Pa. No, it's not. Thanks for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this conversation. There'll be many more to follow, so stay tuned. You can also go to www.africanose.eu for much more information. And if you have any thoughts, comments, ideas on hosts or guests or any other things to share, please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you.